Welcome to the MFG Global Markets Podcast. I'm your host, George Goncalves. Today, I'm joined by Glenn Schultz, the head of agency mortgage prepayment modeling and strategy for MUFG. Hi, George. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, Glenn. Um, so let's jump right into it. July remittance data was released Friday, August 4th, and the aggregate prepayments as measured by the Fannie Mae uh, 30-year cohort reported uh, you know, negative 11.2% month-over-month decline to a 5.6 CPR, and the 15-year sector reported a negative 10.5% month-over-month decline to 6.5 CPR. Overall, prepayments have declined by more than what has been implied by the business day count convention of negative 5% month-over-month. I would like to discuss you know, July's remittances with you and its implications for the state of the U.S. housing market. What are your thoughts? Sure. Uh, Well, agency prepayment data does provide us some insight into the health of the U.S. housing market, namely through turnover, refinancing, and then also, you know, the delinquency data they provide on on their pools. But in this environment, the focus is mainly on turnover data. So when discussing turnover data right now, the challenge, given the configuration of the coupon stack, is mainly identifying, you know, what I refer to as a turnover cohort, right? Which is, which is typically defined as say 30 months of seasoning or thereabouts, and a gross rack around 25 to 50 basis points or so out of the money. Now, right now, as I said, there is no cohort really meeting these criteria especially with sufficient float to qualify as a turnover cohort. So I look to both the new and moderate seasoned TBA S-curve analysis, you know, at the, at the minus to 25 to minus 50 basis point uh, incentive. So just to the left of the elbow of the S-curve. So that's the out of the money TBA. And then the time series as well. So, so we're normalizing prepayment by moneyness and seasoning to, to try to get to the, the turnover numbers. So using these measures, we get the following. On the time series, uh, new production turnover is about 7% CPR, and moderately seasoned turnover is running about 10% CPR. And that's consistent. You tend to see moderates running a little bit faster than than new, and then the season turnover is about 7% CPR. So there we get a straight average around 8 CPR. So we would call that the prepayment turnover of 8 CPR. And then next I consider the time series, and that yields just around a 9 CPR at the elbow, and about 7.5 CPR, 25 basis points out of the money, or just to the left of the elbow. And then finally, we look at existing home sales. So June's existing home sales implied an annual turnover rate of 5.9%, so right at 6% CPR. So if we put all these pieces together, we get like a prepayment turnover of about 7.5 CPR and a housing turnover measured by existing home sales at 6% CPR. So that existing home sales CPR is consistent with the PSA model. So together, these metrics suggest to me, at least from a turnover perspective, the housing market is normalized. We're kind of back to that 6-8 CPR, uh, at least when you view all of this through the historical lens of turnover, right? Uh, And that is 
I, I would say turnover right now. We were forecasting an eight to ten CPR in the summer months, and and we were probably higher than most on the street. Um, so we came up about a half a CPR, uh, I think, below that on our low end estimate. Uh, but you know, I think the market was looking for numbers that were were much lower than that. That's very helpful and very clear and concise. Yeah, there's also been quite a bit of talk recently about the lock-in effect mm -hmm. and slow prepayments, especially around lower coupons, and that many MBS investors expected you know very slow turnover going into spring and summer selling season. In fact, you know, well below the numbers you just reviewed. How do you how do you kind of square that circle? Yeah, so the lock-in effect was first identified by Lockbeer Hare at Prudential Securities. And, you know, I had worked with Lockbeer at the time, and, and, and this was identified following the first of, you know, what became many generational lows in, in the 30-year mortgage rate. And, and at that time, we observed very, very low turnover rates. Now, naturally, we attributed this to kind of the aforementioned path of the mortgage rate. That is, we get a generational low in the mortgage rate, a refinancing wave, and then a subsequent slowdown in, you know, the out-of-the-money prepayment as, as mortgage rates kind of came off those generational lows. And this was really attributed to borrowers' reluctance to give up their very low mortgage rate. So at the time, the idea made intuitive sense, and it still makes intuitive sense. However, I have gone back and, and looked into the macro environment at the time that we first kind of coined that phrase or identified uh, the lock-in effect in the mid-1990s. You know, and I come up with sort of the following observations. First, uh, during that mid-1990s, the economy and the housing market was still coming off of the after effects of the savings and loan crisis in, in the latter part of the 1980s. So, so we were still working that out, right, through the Resolution Trust Corp and those types of things. Second was the 1991 recession, which was coupled with relatively anemic growth in home prices well into the 1990s. Uh, so I feel that reviewing that period only through the lens of the 30-year mortgage rate and prepayments results in an overstatement of the strength of the lock-in effect. So we had some macro effects there that were pretty powerful that were also working on, on turnover. So based on this, I really think the market uh, is going to realize a much higher turnover rate because it's not as powerful as that that we identified in the 1990s because of these macro things, which which I don't think that that we really took full account of when we coined the lock-in effect. So, you know, let's turn around and look at some lock-in cohorts, right, today. So we can start with the one and a half coupons and we'll focus on the 2021s because that's that 30-ish walla. Uh, and that, that prepaid, the 20 and 21 vintages prepaid at 3.7 and 3.5 CPR respectively in June. So that's below the 6%. Uh, and then the two coupons the tw of 20 and 21 prepaid at 4.7 and then 4.3 CPR, again, below six. And then the two and a half coupons of 2020 and 2021 prepaid at 5.7 and 5.3% CPR. So, you know, that's getting closer, right? So now let me just stop here for a moment and point out the trend. So what we've seen in these deep out of the money cohorts, every 50 basis points or so of GWAC is worth about one CPR. 
Now, I point this out because these are very deep out of the money, 300 basis points or more cohorts, what I call the triple deep out of the money. And yet there is a consistent prepayment response based upon gross whack, meaning up 50 basis points, get one more CPR. So now if we just reduce our scope down or our view down to the 2020 vintage and look at the three through five coupons, these all reported CPRs above six six percent so we got more than six percent cpr and the fast of these of these cohorts was the four and a half coupon with a gross whack of 515 almost 200 basis out of the money or what i call double deep out of the money and that prepaid at a 9.9 cpr so turnover actually is much higher than market expectations the lock-in effect here when we look at it is much weaker than I think what people are are giving it credit for. And we've kind of seen that as we've moved through uh, the spring and summer selling season. I see your point there. And the, and the lock-in effect, you know, as you say, may be overstated. So um, what does the uh, MUFG prepayment model forecast and where do you see value? So yeah, if we look at where we are in terms of our prepayment model, and we look at long-term speeds, we look at like one and a half twos, two and a halves, we're looking at like, uh, you know, five and three quarters to, you know, six-ish uh, type of long-term CPRs. And then when we get up uh, into the belly of the stack, we're looking at, you know, nine to 12 long-term CPRs. Uh, and then when we get up into the six, six and a half, so we're looking at long-term CPRs of, uh, you know, high teens, just below you know, 20 CPR. Uh, so that's what we're getting at with, with the prepayment model. This is the, the experimental model that we're gonna release in November. Uh, and, and so when I put that together and then look at the various different stories, you know, what I really favor is the new production. So that's uh, less than 30 walla, three through four coupons. Uh, and, and within the overall complex, I really favor the moderate loan balance and the moderate high loan balance. So those are two uh, spec stories that I like, they give good carry, speeds are a little bit higher than kind of the TBA speeds that we've talked about there. So they give you more carry than, than TBA. They're relative prepayment multipliers, which you know we present in, in our monthly prepayment commentary are you know 1.2 to like 1.5-ish, depending on what, uh, on what you're looking at. So, so from that perspective, they provide coupon carry and additional carry through uh, prepayments, right? And then I also like comparable coupon new production Florida pools. Uh, same story there in terms of relative uh, prepayments. And then in the moderately seasoned space, so that's going to be 31 to 60 Walla. Uh, you know, I favor the near the money FICO pools because those those tend to uh, tend to pick up in speed sort of over time. So I think that those are all stories that give you know good carry. And they have a good out-of-the-money sort of prepayment profile uh, that I think really helps investors. That's great. Yeah, in, in a world that's starved for carry, that's good to, good to hear. Uh, in, in the June podcast, you believe that the basis represented a good entry point as it was trading around 161 basis points. The basis you know, has been kind of moving a little, drifting a little bit higher. It's closed mm -hmm. at, uh, around 168 or so. Uh, what, what's your views there? My view on the mortgage basis has not changed materially since our last podcast. 
I still believe that the mortgage basis will close the year between 120 and 130. But first, let's look at the factors that would support the counter argument to my view. So first, we're in the final innings of the FDIC liquidation of the failed banks. And I don't foresee additional supply resultant from further failures. But still, until the liquidations are complete, the supply from the banks, uh, FDIC liquidations are going to work counter to, to my view of a tighter basis. Second, the market is in the midst of digesting the summer origination supply. And again, you know, the uptick in origination, you know, works counter to my view of a tighter basis. So the above should be considered against the backdrop, though, of historically low net issuance. So bank demand has all but evaporated. And I think the market is looking to current bank demand when they're forming their consensus view with respect to the basis. However, I feel there is sufficient demand away from the banks to absorb the current net issuance. And then we're going to end up, I think, with a, a net issuance sort of shortfall, right? So ultimately, you know, spreads will tighten due to that. So at the end of the day, net issuance is really what's driving my view on the basis. Thank you, Glenn. And uh, as you and I have been discussing over the over the year, uh, you know, mortgages obviously have been cheapening up. Uh, they're cheap relative to IG and that could obviously bring in some uh, demand from non-banks, as you suggest. And and with the Fed likely almost done with their tightening cycle, if not done already, based on our rates forecasts, uh, we, we could probably see vols come back down. That should also help out mortgages as well. So we're in general agreement on a cross-fixed income view as well. Uh, on that note, I'll wrap up this uh, month's MBFG MBS Global Market Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And reach out to your MUFG sales rep for any further information. Check back soon for more insights from the Global Markets Research Team.